Good evening. Tonight we are about to continue our discussion of what has become by far the most challenging qualification to understand required of those who would be elders. As one commentator stated, out of the 24 qualifications, not a single one has had more controversy surrounding it than the father of faithful children. I don't know as it was ever intended to be that way by God, but unfortunately, that's what it has turned into. Now, it seems pretty simple on the surface. And the one thing that we've always got to remember when we start really getting down and get into a very intricate dissection of the text is this. When we put it all back together again and form our conclusion, it should never contradict what the text in its simplest and most obvious form seems to be saying. We can't take a text that says something that's pretty plain and simple and go through all of these meanings and this and that and one thing and another and twist it and tweak it and come out on the other end with a totally opposite conclusion of what it pretty much says, simply said, to begin with. So tonight I am going to do the best that I know how to try to provide us with some biblical insights that will give us the best possible chance of getting as close to what the Bible is actually saying as I can. I hope you will objectively consider these and then do with them what you will. To begin with, there are some topics in the Bible that are addressed under a couple of different contexts. It's the same topic, but it's addressed in a little bit different couple of contexts. In other words, one context may be a little bit more specific to a certain situation, while the other time that topic is discussed, it has a broader context in mind. Let me give you an example. Here's the best example I can think of. When we consider women's roles in religious settings, we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 14, wherein it says in verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. A deep study of that text will tell you that the Greek is en ecclesia in the churches. It means in the assemblies. We've been through this before. In the assemblies of the church, it says, Verse 34, let your women keep silent. Now, the word for silence there, the Greek word is segeo, and it means without sound. It means to keep silence, to hold one's peace, to be kept in silence. That is, while in the first day of the week, worship assembly, in the assembly, the context there is in the worship assembly, wherein we take communion, give of our means, etc., etc., etc. That assembly. Okay? However, on that same subject, that of women's roles or silence in religious settings, there is another text that addresses a much more far-reaching, a, a much broader and more far-reaching set of circumstances, that being the context of everywhere else, everywhere else other than in the assembly. 
And in that context, it says a woman is to be silent as well, but it's a whole different word for silent. It means a whole different thing because it's addressing a whole different circumstance. The text that addresses that is 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. And that is when it comes to everywhere else that Christian brethren are together, verse 8 of 1 Timothy 2. And it says there that a woman is to learn in silence or quietness in verses 11 and 12. But that word is not without sound. That word is hasuchia. It is not segeo. Segeo means without sound. Segeo is in 1 Corinthians 14 in the assembly. But here, when it comes to everywhere else, it has more to do with a gentle spirit or a quiet spirit. Hasuchia. It is a term that has to do much more with attitude than actual absence of sound. And so we see the same the same topic is addressed once in a very specific setting and once in a setting that addresses everywhere else. Now, of course, the specific setting fits well under that broader umbrella as well. And so, as we think about that, and the reason I bring that up tonight is because I believe that we see the same thing in evidence in our current study on elders. We have two different texts that deal with an elder's children, but they're talking about a little bit different setting or circumstance in each one. For example, last week we covered 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. If you want to turn there, that's fine. Matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and turn there? <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, covered it at length. But keeping this idea of different contexts in mind, 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5, which we covered, says an elder must be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Okay? Now, it seems pretty obvious from the inclusion of the phrase his own house twice in those two short verses that the immediate and specific context under consideration in that text is one regarding a potential elder's offspring's behavior while they are still under his roof or in his house. It's pretty clear because he uses that phrase, his own household, twice in those two verses. That's the context. That is the specific immediate context, the children's behavior or the offspring's behavior while under his roof. Okay? However, the text that we're going to cover in Titus tonight has no such clause. The text that we're going to cover in Titus at length tonight has no such phrase. And hence, in context and by design, covers a much broader and more far-reaching set of circumstances rather than just in his household. Even though the behavior in his household fits very nicely under the larger set of circumstances outlined in Titus chapter 1. So let us look in our Bibles in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, our central text for the evening. For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful 
children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. That is the New King James translation reading. And that is our key phrase for study tonight and consideration this evening. Having faithful children. That seems pretty simple on the surface. As we get into it, you'll see that it might not be quite as simple as it looks. But we'll get there. I figured that if we took a look at a few other literal translations wording that it might help us also to get a better picture perhaps. The King James Version, which you see on the screen, says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, same as the New King James. The American Standard Version says, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having children that believe. That is the phrase, the way they translate it. The New American Standard Version translates it, having children who believe. The English Standard Version translates it, his children are believers. And the Christian Standard Bible says an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children. Now, the term that's translated faithful here is the term pistos. And as we talked about last week, the Strong's Concordance assigns a number to each Greek word. That's why it's G. It assigns a number to each Hebrew word as well. That's H. But you can look them up quickly. This is Greek 4103, pistos. It is the word in Titus 1.6, faithful. And what the word itself literally means is, objectively, it means trustworthy. Subjectively, it means trustful. It means believe, believing, or a believer. It means faithful, faithfully, sure, or true. It can mean any one of these things depending on the way it's used. Now, Strong's goes on to talk to us or to tell us about the outline of this word and its biblical usage. I'm going to show you some different places it's used because we've got to understand what it means to have faithful children as best we know how because that's a must. Under Strong's outline of biblical uses, it says that this word is used, number one, of persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. Let's take a look at one of the places that pistos is used in that sense. Open with me in your Bibles to Matthew 25, would you please? I want you to get an overall feel for this word. Matthew 25, 21, and 23. Pistos is used here. It's the parable or the story of the talents. And in verse 21, don't need to go into the whole story here. It's a very familiar story. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful. That is pistos servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 23, his Lord said to him, Well done, good and pistos, faithful servant. You have been pistos, faithful over a few things. So, this word is used of people who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. But that's not the only way it's used. It is used 
of one who kept his faith, one who is worthy of trust. Turn to me in your Bibles, please, to Revelation 2 and verse 13. I could just bring these up for time's sake and just roll right on by them without turning there, but I think it is critical that we understand the different usages of this word. I want to give you the full picture. Revelation 2 and verse 13, Jesus says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful, Pistos, martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. This shows us that it is one who keeps his faith, one who is worthy of trust in the, in the worst of circumstances. That is the usage of Pistos. It is also used of one who can be relied on. Do you remember where, well, let's just turn there. Said I was going to turn there, let's turn there. Look at 2 Timothy 2. I know this is a lot to digest on a Sunday night. Stay with me as best you can, please. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 says, And the things that you have heard from me commit, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to pistos, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So these are just some of the usages of that word that's translated for faithful children, just the term itself, faithful, okay? That's what we're trying to get a picture of. Strong's goes on to tell us that in the New Testament, it is used of one who trusts in God's promises. If we were to turn to Galatians 3.9, we would see that Abraham was a believer. He was pistos. He was one who trusted in God's promises. The word is also used of one who is convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now here's where we get really close to the idea of being a Christian. Turn to me here in John 20, verse 27. Please. In John chapter 20, verse 27, we see this word again for faithful used of one who is convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead. John 20, verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be pistos, be believing. Believe in me. And it is also used finally of one who has become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and author of salvation. One who is pistos, like a, an elder must have believing children, pistos children. Okay? It is one who has become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and author of salvation. Turn to me in your Bibles, please, to these three passages real quick. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Acts 16 and verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. Now, now, when we read that text, if we're not having this study and you don't know anything about the word, what do you understand in a simple reading of that text? He came to Derbe and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. She was a Jewish woman who'd become a Christian. Is that, that fair? That's, who she, that's what believed in this passage meant. She had become a Christian, but his father was a Greek. Same thing when we turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, the word in Acts 16, 1 is pistos. 2 Corinthians, we turn over there, we look at chapter 6. In verse 15, what does it say? 
and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Now, when we read that text, what do we understand a believer to be? It's a Christian, right? Pretty simple. Guess what the word believer is? Pistos. A believer, pistos, is a Christian in this sense. And finally, 1 Timothy 5, 16. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16. One more usage of this text. By the way, I believe the word pistos is used 66 times in the New Testament. So see, this may be a long list, but it, it didn't all. <laughs> 1 Timothy 5, 16, look what it says. And without any discussion of this text, what would you understand this to be saying? Verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows, pistos, man or woman, what's, when you read this, what do you think the believing man and woman is? They're a Christian, obviously. That's what it's talking about. If any pistos, man or woman, has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Okay, and there's a number of others that we're going to get to here shortly. So it seems pretty clear then that the word means one who's a Christian. Doesn't always mean that but the word means faithful. It's used of believers. But here's where much of the controversy comes in. Brothers Roper and Cloer say this. A literal translation of children who believe would be believing children. Believing, pistos, is the active form of the noun belief. In the active sense, Pistos means believing and trusting. Used in the active sense, the word generally refers to one who believes in Christ, one who is a Christian. But the confusion comes in in that it's not always used in the active sense. They go on to say, pistos can also be used in the passive sense for one who is faithful or trustworthy. If, if, notice the, the uncertainty here, if used in this sense in Titus 1.6, it could mean children who are faithful to the Lord, i.e. Christians, or faithful to their father's leadership. That's where the ambiguity comes in. The latter understanding, faithful to their father's leadership, would more naturally tie with the words that follow. It should be noted, however, that if a child is faithful to his father's leadership and is at the age of accountability, is expected that he'll be a Christian. And this is kind of the key for this whole study. The question is, is Titus 1.6 really talking about faithful to the father's leadership or faithful as a Christian to the heavenly father? But here's the bottom line. No matter which way you look at it, it comes out to the same thing, and, and that's the saving grace in all of this. Because if a man meets all the qualifications for an elder, he's a good, solid Christian man, meets all the qualifications. If his children are going to be faithful to him, what are they going to do? They're going to come to believe in that which he believes in. They're going to come to become that which he is because they respect him and his leadership. They are going to become Christians. And if it's used in the sense of faithful to the Father in heaven, then they're going to be Christians. Either way, they're going to be Christians. Brothers Roper and Cloer go on to say, the question is often asked, what about the children's behavior after they leave home? And then they say this. 
Stott's comment is worth considering. It is legitimate to ask for how long the faith and conduct of the children remain their parents' responsibility. And it is. The text suggests, suggests that Paul has childhood in mind. For although techna, children, the Greek word for children, could be used of posterity in general and occasionally of grown adults, it usually refers to youngsters who are still in their minority and are therefore regarded as still being under their parents' authority. For me, there are three very strong reasons why that's all the consideration that that comment should receive and probably more than it should receive. There's three reasons that are very powerful for me as to why that comment does not work here. First off, it admits that the term techna can indeed and at times is used of grown adults. So to say that it's not talking about grown adult children here, not really something you can prove. Secondly, to make this text in Titus 1.6 equivalent to the very specific circumstances which are mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5 in his own household, to, to, say that, to say that Titus is only talking about while the children are children in the home, in order to do that, you've got to add a phrase that is not in Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. In order to do that, you've got to add the phrase in his own home if you're, that's all you're making it apply to. And that, that phrase is just not there. Thirdly, and the most troubling for me, is this. Consider what Stott said, that it's got to be talking about in the home they have to be believers. Consider that for a minute. If you're going to say that only applies that they have to have faithful children while the children are in the home, then what that means is this. That means that there's absolutely nothing in the Bible about the children being faithful after they leave home. That means that if all of a man's children, every one of them, right down to the last one, leaves the faith, he's still qualified to be an elder. If Stott's right, if this only has to do with the home, that after a man's children leave home, even if they all fall away, that man's qualified to be an elder. And that's a contradiction of scripture. And I'll tell you why it's a contradiction of scripture. Because Titus 1 and verse 6 says very specifically that an elder must be one having current tense faithful children. Having, he's got to have faithful children. That's what it says in your own Bibles. Titus 1, 6. I know it is. I've got it written down here, but I'm going to check it just to make sure. Titus 1 and verse 6. Having faithful children. Doesn't matter if they're in the home or not. He's got to have faithful children. That's what the text says. An elder's got to have faithful children. And it says that with absolutely no time barriers or limits involved or included in it. Also, do you remember what I said earlier about a, a very simple text and taking it, and even after you dissect it and put it all back together, it can't say something that clearly contradicts the simplicity of the original? It says an elder's got to have... Doesn't it say in Titus 1.6 that an elder has to have believing children or faithful children? Doesn't it say that? 
So any conclusion we come to by dissecting it cannot contradict that, because that's what it says. Now, the reason for some of the confusion here, and we'll get to some of these other things about when children get out on their own here in a few minutes. The reason for some of the confusion here is because of the different ways in which the word pistos is used in the New Testament. Again, it is a word that is found 66 times, and it can mean just faithful or trustworthy in carrying out their duties. It can mean faithful in a lot of different ways. We talked about these texts, Matthew 25, 21, and 23, as well as a whole bunch of others like Luke 16, 10 through 12, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 4, 2, and 10, 13, and others. But it is also a term, this is the thing we've got to understand, this term pistos is also a term that is used to describe very specifically those who are faithful Christians in a number of different places. Let me show them to you. Again, this is the same graph, type of graph you saw last week, the little blue numbers beside of each word is the, is the Greek number of that word given to it by Strong's. And each time you see it highlighted, G4103, that is the word pistos. Notice how many times pistos is used to talk about faithful Christians. Here we go. Acts 10.45, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This is where Peter took Christians with him, former Jews who had converted to Christianity to Cornelius' house, and they were believers. When you read that, what do you know that they were? They were Christians. They were pistos. Acts 16 and verse 1, we read this one already. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. She was a Christian. She was a pistos but his father was a Greek. We see over and over again this word pistos being used for faithful Christians. And when she and her household had been baptized, that is Lydia, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, if you've judged me to be a faithful Christian, faithful to God, and come into my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So as we read about pistos, our faithful children, it is the same idea, it has to be that, that, that they are faithful to God or faithful to their father who's faithful to God, so they'll wind up being faithful to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child. Was Timothy a faithful Christian? Yeah, that's the word, pistos. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6.15, we've already read that. We know that the believer here is talking about a Christian. That's pistos. Ephesians 1.1, Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ. He is talking about faithful Christians, those who are faithful in Christ, those who have been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and those who are still faithful to the Lord. The word is pistos, the same word that is used when it says that he must have believing children or faithful offspring. Ephesians 6.21, but you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister. Here's another one, faithful to God. He's faithful. Same as an elder must have faithful children. We could go on. To the saints and pistos brethren in Christ, talking about Christians, Colossians 1-2. Colossians 4-7, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, he is faithful to God. Well, if he was faithful to God, he was a Christian. And finally, we see the same of Onesimus, all of these, the Greek word pistos. And finally, just so that you know that there's more than one of these, <laughs> 
First Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example to who? To the Christians, to the pistos, those who are faithful to God. Same word. If any woman who is a believer, what is she? She's a Christian. She's faithful to God. She's a pistos. Has dependent widows, etc., etc. Same word. 1 Timothy 6.2, those who have believers as their masters, when you read that and it's not this study, what are they talking about? Christians, those who have Christians as their masters. Pistos, Christians, what it's referring to. And finally, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trustees to what? Faithful men. Just any old faithful men or faithful Christians? Faithful Christians, obviously. will be able to teach others also. And so you see this word pistos throughout, tied to faithful Christians, those who have obeyed the gospel in their faith, although it does have other meanings. Now, because of these examples that I've shown you tonight, because of the way Titus 1.6 is worded, I believe Brother Lonnie Ritchie has it right when he says, an elder must have children who are Christians. This is obvious since the words that believe undoubtedly refer to offspring who have obeyed the gospel, 1 Timothy 4.3 and 6.2. As I said, if they're faithful to their father and he's a Christian man who's, who's eldership material and he's got everything else right, they're faithful to him, they're going to follow in his footsteps and become a Christian. Or if they're faithful to God, they're going to be Christians either way. That brings us to another point that I believe shows the wisdom of God in this passage. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. Although the wording, having faithful children or children that believe, certainly seems to indicate that they have become Christians through their obedience to the gospel, the text doesn't actually include the word, doesn't actually include the words, children who have been baptized. And you know what I think that is? Some people say, well, clear it up a lot more if it said children who'd been baptized. I think the fact that it doesn't use the word baptized is a definite exhibition of the wisdom of God as opposed to a detriment. And here's why. Fathers, mothers, what did you rather have? Children that had been baptized or children that were still faithful to the Lord? Pretty simple question, isn't it? Anybody can be baptized for any reason. And wouldn't it be a lot easier if somebody wanted to be an elder and it simply said, having children who've been baptized to just get your kids baptized? God wasn't looking for just children who've been baptized. He was looking for fathers who've raised their children to be faithful to God. Now, I realize in order to be faithful to God, you've got to be baptized, but not everybody that's baptized is faithful to God. I think God, in his wisdom, showed us how much wisdom he has when he said, must have faithful children instead of simply children that have been baptized. One passage, uh, one commentator said, it is tragic that so much time is spent observing only whether or not children have been baptized instead of observing the father's rule. They are not exactly the same thing. Men are too often appointed who have children who have been baptized often the result of their mother's teaching, but these men have no ruling ability. And that's a wonderful point. As a result of lack of ruling ability, 
The very thing required in 1 Timothy 3, 3 and 4 and Titus 1, 6, insurrections commonly occur in local churches, Titus 1, 9 through 11. Does that make sense to everybody? This is all about a man's ability to live the gospel, to lead his family and, and have the respect of his wife and children as a Christian man. It's not just about whether or not your kids have gotten into a tank of water. And so it says faithful children or children who are believers. Then we get down to the discussion of another word that is often added to Titus 1.6 by men but was never put there by God. This is where this gets a little dicey. I'm going to try to go through it as slowly as I know how and still get the point across and not keep you all till midnight. There's a word that Titus 1.6 does not include that a lot of people want to stick in there. And that is the word all. Titus 1.6 does not say that all his children have to be believed. He says he must have believing offspring. Yes, yeah, uh-huh, that's what it says. But it does not say that every single one of them must be. That's an addition of men to the text. And once again, we see the wisdom of God here. And here's why. Although it is a requirement that an elder must have faithful offspring, no matter if they are in his house, 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, or not, Titus 1, 6. Although it is a requirement an elder must have faithful offspring, God also knows that not every child raised and reared in a faithful Christian home is always going to stay that way because they are their own moral free agent. God knows that not every kid raised in a Christian home, despite they can have the most faithful, devoted Christian mother and father that ever walked the earth. But that does not automatically guarantee that every kid's going to be a Christian. Is that fair? Is that true? Y'all have seen it. Y'all have seen good Christian parents raise their kids, and some of them will not stay faithful to the seeds that are planted during their childhood. They just won't. Children have a mind of their own when they get out on their own. Proverbs 3, 1 through 13. Proverbs 4, 1 through 13. Proverbs 10, 1. Luke 15, 11 and following, for example. As one resource so aptly put it, the law of Moses did not automatically assign failure to parents whose children did not turn out right. Deuteronomy 21, 18 and following. Ezekiel 18, 1 through 13 as well. Godly fathers must rule, but they cannot legislate Christianity. Each person elects whether or not to become a Christian. While this is the case, most children at home who are of accountable age will probably become Christians, but alas, many of these will fall away when they are removed from their father's influence. So, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where we come down to the discretion of the congregation. If God, says an elder, must have faithful, believing offspring, and he does, Titus 1.6, must have, no matter what age, must have, but he doesn't tell us they must all be, and he doesn't ever add the word all there. And if it's not just limited to while they're under his own roof, then just how many or what percentage of his children do have to be? <laughs> what percentage 
what number of his children do have to be. God didn't tell us all of them, but he said he must have them. And the bottom line is, technically, in order to be qualified, he must have at least one faithful, believing offspring. How many of you remember this? Remember when I started, I said this little whiteboard was going to come in really handy? I think that was the first one when we were doing the COVID thing and nobody was here and we were live streaming. If you recall my little friend here, and I've been saving him just for this purpose, you recall that I said that there's a certain set of parameters in a lot of the Bible, and as long as we don't go outside of the parameters, God allows us some discretion within those parameters to decide how we're going to do things long as we don't go outside the parameters. For example, remember the example I used? We are to meet on the first day of the week to break bread. Is that right? Acts 20 and verse 7. This set of parameters is the first day of the week from 12 o'clock midnight or Saturday night to 12 o'clock midnight uh, Monday morning. Okay? So, let me ask you a question. God says we are to meet within the first day of the week. Can we meet on Saturday? Can we meet on Saturday? No, that's outside of the parameters. Can we meet on Monday for worship? No, that's outside of the parameters. Can we meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning? Is that within the parameters? Uh-huh. Can we meet instead and have our morning or afternoon worship at 1230? Are we still in the parameters on Sunday at 1230? What about if the elders decided for whatever reason that we're going to meet at 9 o'clock on Sunday night? Would that still be within the first day of the week parameters that God laid down? But you see, God allows us that discretion within the parameter. Now, this is where it comes down to this discussion. God said an elder must have faithful children. Didn't say all. So how many? Well, say a man's got five kids. Technically, according to the word of God, if one of those five children is faithful, is that man technically qualified to be an elder? Does he have believing offspring? Yes or no? Simplest form. Not a difficult question. Does he have believing offspring? Yes. Technically, is he therefore qualified? Yes. But, maybe the congregation is not comfortable with a 20% 20, 20 success rate. Maybe the congregation would prefer at least three out of five. You see, we're allowed some discretion within here. If a man's got ten children, and only one of them turns out to be a faithful Christian, chances are probably not a good idea to put that man in as an elder. One, ten percent's not real good when it comes to keeping the flock. What if it's, he meets all the other qualifications and he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven out of ten. Would you be more comfortable with seven out of ten than one out of ten? I would. But you see, we have some discretion within the parent. Must have believing offspring. But God leaves it up to us. Because you see, the Bible does not get specific on some of these things because it, that one or two texts have to address all elderships for all time. And so some of that discretion is left up to us. But the bottom line is, in order for us as a congregation to obey God's word, he must have believing offspring, at least one. Can be singular, can be plural. We had that discussion last week. But as a congregation, 
Maybe man having 10 children, only one faithful, we say, you know what, I'm not real comfortable with that, and that's okay. That man can continue to serve, it's just that the congregation is not comfortable with him being an elder. He might be technically qualified, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the congregation feels he is comfortably qualified. Children that, they must be children that are not open to any legitimate charge of riot or unruly. Again, back to Titus 1.6. King James Version says they must not be open to the legitimate charge of riot or unruly. New King James says dissipation or insubordination. New American Standard says indecent behavior or rebellion. And the NIV says open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now, Brothers Roper and Cloer have something very insightful to say here. These, those terms at the end of Titus 1.6, these are not terms describing the normal ups and downs, good days and bad days of family life. Even as no person is perfect, so no family is perfect. Amen. Rather, these terms are intensely strong terms. They describe children out of control. Dissipation is debauchery, wild living. An adverb form of this word is used to describe the prodigal son who squandered his estate with loose living. That's the kind of wildness it's talking about. Rebellion is a stubborn refusal to submit to authority. In 1 Timothy 1.9, Paul applied this ugly term, rebellion, to false teachers. So it's not talking, you know, everybody struggles with their kids. No kid behaves all the time. Did any of you parents got a kid that behaves every single time? Raise your hands high. No, I don't. Never did have. No kid's perfect. No family's perfect. No mom's perfect. No dad's perfect. Can't be done. Not, now my granddaughter, she's, well, anyway. Um, the bottom line is it isn't talking about the everyday ups and downs with your kids. It's talking about kids that are wild, rebellious, in the sense of just not going to submit to authority. And brothers Roper and Clore submit uh, conclude this way on this. They say the question the congregation needs to pose is this. Does a man have family problems that would affect his influence in the church and in the community? Brother Lonnie Ritchie said any child that lives a life that is, a, that is abandoned to sin or who lives as though he or she is free from any restraints, especially parental ones, disqualifies his or her father from the eldership. And that's true. That's true. Because he must have faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. As we close tonight, consider these things. And I will tell you right up front to remember, I am no authority on them. But that God is the only complete authority. Now I realize there's a lot of controversy on this one and you can look up a lot of different names that have a lot of different things to say and that's fine. I am simply one who studied his word and this is what I found. These are the biblical facts I've found. Please examine them to see if they are scriptural because scriptural is the only thing that matters on this. The only thing that matters on this is scriptural. If we're going to have elders, we have to have the men that God, through the Holy Spirit, has made clear are the men that he wants to lead this church. And one of those qualifications is that he must have faithful children, at least one. We must get it right, keep it right, 
and always be right with God alone to the absolute best of our ability. You must have faithful children, child, children, offspring, whatever the term. Speaking of getting it right with God, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we'd love to see you baptized into Christ. If you're here tonight and you're a mom or dad or child who knows that you want to pick your behavior up, you want to become more of that, that cream of the crop that might one day be an elder or have an elder as, as your dad or your or you want to grow to become one, if you'd like the prayers of the church to mature in these things, we would love to help you any way that we can right now as we stand and as we sing.